a good gift has value. We cherish what we've been given when we know it comes at a high price or at a steep cost. But the most valuable gift of all has already been paid for, and it was bought for you. Find out more as we start this new series called The Gift Right Now. Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And again, as always, I'm so thankful that you've joined us for this podcast. Uh, I'm excited about today because we are starting a new series called The Gift, and uh, we are preparing our hearts to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus, during this Christmas season. And so uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three different gifts that some wise men gave uh, to Jesus around the time of his birth, according to the uh, Gospel of Matthew. And we're specifically going to be looking at the Matthew uh, Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. And so let me kind of give you the context of, of where we're going, and then we'll dive into our word. Uh, if you don't know the story, Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod, and, and some wise men, or you might call them magi, traveled a great distance to come and, and worship Jesus. Uh, and so I want to ask you, how many of you have a nativity scene at your house, or maybe your grandma has one, or uh, you've seen one, or whatever? Um, if you look at that nativity scene, how many wise men do you usually see? You always see three wise men, right? Unless like one fell off and it broke or something like that, right? But how many wise men were there? There were there was three, right? But in our nativity scene. But how many wise men were there when at the time of Jesus' birth? We actually don't know. We tend to think that there was three because they're, they perhaps brought three gifts. But the reality is we have no idea how many there actually was. Uh, chances are there could have been dozens. Uh, some scholars say maybe hundreds. Uh, we, just, we just really don't know. But tradition tells us three. And what we do know, though, for sure, is that these wise men were, were highly educated. Uh, they were very likely incredibly wealthy. And they were desperate to meet the one who might be the savior of the world. And so scripture tells us in Matthew 2, 10 through 11, this is what it says. When the star, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and, and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, admittedly, when my wife and I had our children, uh, we didn't receive gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Did you guys receive gold, frankincense, and myrrh? You know, what kind of gifts are those anyways, right? Those are just kind of some weird gifts, you know, because when we had our babies, we, we got diapers, uh, we got onesies, we got binkies, we got blankets, and of course, we got the ever-important, all-purpose baby snot sucker, right? <laughs> right? It's a very important gift. Uh, we grew up in the era where it was this little blue bulb with a little thing that you jab up into the baby's nose, right? And you squeeze it and out comes the snot, right? 
and evidently now they have these new modern versions that pretty much does it all for you. Like it was really hard to do it anyways. But anyway, uh, why is that possible? I have no idea. But wise men offered the, these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts were not only valuable, they were incredibly practical, and yet they were deeply spiritual all at the same time. In fact, all Bible scholars agree that these gifts were not only useful for this family, but I'm going to tell you why as we go through the weeks, but they also foreshadowed some images of what Jesus would represent. You know, gold, valuable in itself, represented the kingship of Jesus. And myrrh, uh, we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, Myrrh represented Jesus as the suffering servant or as the Lamb of God. Today we're going to be talking about frankincense. Before I tell you about the meaning of frankincense, I'm going to tell you a little bit about frankincense. According to my essential oil advisors, because I have many in my life, not really, uh, (laughs) frankincense is an oil that's kind of like a Swiss army knife. Okay. In other words, it's got lots of properties, lots of purposes. Frankincense oil possesses antiseptic, astringent, a diuretic. Uh, it can be used as a digestive, sedative, uterine, uh, vulnerary, therapeutic properties, all these different things. I have no idea what all that means, uh, but I read it somewhere. Okay, <laughs> And you ask, well, what does a pastor do all week besides preach on Sundays? Well, we look this kind of stuff up. We're just stupid that way. Okay, That's what we do. But anyway, what I do know is... Frankincense was a very expensive, practical gift that helped heal sicknesses uh, and treat wounds, okay? And more so, frankincense was the oil that the priests would use during the sacrifices to burn the incense that, that would make them uh, make the smoke that would rise to heaven, symbolizing the prayers of the people, rising in faith to God. And that is why Bible scholars agree that frankincense represents the priestliness uh, of Jesus. Or as we're going to talk about today, Jesus as our high priest. Now, some of you, if you weren't raised Catholic or such, you may be confused right now. Why, why would Jesus be the high priest? Well, what I want to do today is, I, it may be just a little bit out of the norm, but I'm going to get a little bit deeper today and bring some heavy teaching. And so I hope you can, I hope you can handle it today, all right? So let's dive in. Jesus, the high priest, the priest in Scripture, served one big primary role that was broken into two functions— Okay, the priest essentially would be the representative of the people for, before God. In other words, he would say, I'm going to represent you to God if I'm the priest. Okay? And the priest's primary role was broken into these two functions. All right? First one, the priest made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. As the priest, he would take an innocent animal, sacrifice it to, to represent the forgiveness of the people's sins. And secondly, the priest prayed prayers on behalf of the people to God, representing the people to God, okay? And so I want to talk for a moment about these two functions. As we see Jesus as our high priest, all right? The sacrifices and the prayers. We'll, we'll start with the sacrifices for our sins. Since, since the very moment in the Garden of Eden, when, when Eve sinned against God, there was two opposing forces. There was the holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. Now, admittedly, in our culture today, a lot of people don't want to say we actually sinned. They may say things like, we made a mistake, but it's not a sin. Who's to tell me I sinned? If it feels good, I should do it, right? And what you do is your life, and what I do is my life. And and who needs sins anyways? We don't need to include that, right? One person said, sin is a very outdated term to trick children into being good. 
In other words, who needs sin when you've got an elf on the shelf, right? Who can tell you what kids are doing and then tell Santa who is making his list and checking it twice and and going to find out who's naughty and nice, right? Here's the challenge. We have to understand the reality of sin because there's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. So write this down, okay? It's the only thing I'm going to ask you to write down today, but uh, write this down. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we'll always have a casual approach to sin, okay? If we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. Until we understand what it truly means that, that God is holy, we will never realize the cost and the tragedy of what sin does to us. God is holy. Well, what does it mean that God is holy? The word, word holy comes from a Greek word, agios, and it means separate or other. So what is God? God is transcendently separate. Our God is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. There is no fault, no wrong, no stain on him. Our God is transcendently other. He's separate. He's perfect. And so we need to understand the holiness, that holiness isn't just one of the attributes of God. Holiness is the perfection of all of his attributes. His power is holy, his grace is holy, his mercy is holy, his glory is holy. It's his holiness, his, his otherness, his separateness, his purity that makes him worthy of our praise. Our God is holy, and, and our challenge is we're not. None of us are, not, not a single one of us, not that really nice person you know at work, right? Not me, not you, okay? Scripture teaches us that every single one of us, we've all sinned. We, we've done something wrong. We've fallen short of God's standard, and, and sin breaks our intimacy with the holy God. And this is why God hates sin, because it's everything he's not. It's the opposite of his holiness. It disrupts our intimacy, his, his fellowship with us, and sin separates us from God, and it breaks our life. It destroys our life, and therefore God hates sin. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, the high priest in the Old Testament, one time a year would make a sacrifice as a temporary payment for the sins of the people. It was known as the Day of the Atonement, okay, or, or Yom Kippur. And the, the priest would sacrifice an innocent animal and go into the tabernacle behind the, the veil into the place known as the Holy of Holies. And the priest then would light the frankincense and the incense would let smoke rise, burning to heaven, representing the cries of the people of God for mercy. And then the priest would take the blood of the innocent animal and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And this would symbolize the death of an innocent one in place of the guilty ones as a payment for our sins. Then, if you've ever heard the, the term scapegoat, this, this is where this term comes from. The priest would then take a goat, an innocent goat, and confess the sins of the people, symbolically transferring the sins onto the goat. And then they would drive the goat into the wilderness or, or sometimes off a cliff. And, but therefore, no matter what, the first animal died as a sacrifice, paying the price of the sins. Symbolically, uh, symbolically the scapegoat was run out of the community, symbolizing the sins have been separated from the people of God. Now, I want to pause there for a moment because I, I, want to, I have to tell you, that's weird, Right? Right? That's just weird. If you have never heard this before and you take an innocent, cute little animal and you slit its throat or however you kill it and blood pours into a bucket and you put it on a mercy seat and then you pray, that's just weird, you know? And some of you are probably, man, Dan, you're, you're, you're going to be struck down right where you're at, right? 
but it's weird. It's, it's extreme. It's kind of gross. It seems entirely unfair. Innocent little animal dying in our place. Who would, who would come up with something like this, right? Well, here's what we have to understand. Because God is just, right? We talked about this last series, okay? He's completely just. He must punish sin. But God is not only just, he is also merciful. And here's the beauty of what God does. The sacrifice satisfies God's justness. And at the same time, it extends mercy. It is the price that is paid. But someone else pays that price for the forgiveness of sins. So, so God's holiness, his justice, is satisfied. And yet, he extends mercy to the people that he loves so much. This was a temporary covering under the old covenant. But see, we're not a people of the old covenant. We are under the new covenant. And I want to tell you about a new and a better sacrifice. It comes out of Hebrews 10.10, tells us a little bit about our great high priest. His name is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. Listen to what it says. For God's will for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. It's only a temporary covering for sin. But our high priest, whose name is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. It's not a temporary covering, but Jesus as the high priest offered his life, shedding his innocent life as as a covering for our sins satisfying the justice of God and extending mercy to God's creation, you and me, who he loves so much. Our high priest gave his life, satisfying the justice of God and simultaneously extended mercy. Jesus is our high priest. He's not just a distant savior that feels sorry for us. He is a high priest who understands and cares. And scripture says this about our high priest. Listen to what Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 says. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I hope you understand and embrace the truth that that whatever you're going through, Jesus understands. He relates to our trials. He sympathizes with our pain. Whatever you're, you're going through at this very moment, he understands what you're going through. If you feel stressed right now and overwhelmed, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus' friends abandoned him, he knew what was coming. He fell to the ground and he said, my soul is overwhelmed in agony to the point of death. If, if you face anxiety, he understands. If you deal with crazy people in your family, Jesus dealt with crazy people in his family. It's a spiritual principle. I believe that. Every, every family has crazy. Everyone does. You know, how many of you have somebody crazy in your family, right? If you can't think of somebody, have you considered that maybe you're the crazy one? I'm just saying, you know, I'm just giving you a hard time. But when Jesus said, I am the Messiah, people said, you're a lunatic. They did. They thought he was crazy. Think about how much Jesus understands. So you can know how much he cares. Jesus was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage mom. Man, back in that day, that's scandalous, right? He was raised in a small town where everybody whispered about him. Jesus lived in poverty. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. He was bullied. He was tempted by the devil again and again and again. And and when he was at his weakness and most vulnerable, he continued on. Yet, he did not sin. 
Jesus experienced the death of a close friend, right? Lazarus. He, he grieved the loss of family members. He was accused of things that he did not do. His friends betrayed him. Worst of all, he felt abandoned by God on the cross. He wasn't, but he, he felt that way. Because when Jesus, is the, the great high priest, became sin for us, kind of like the scapegoat, he gave his life for, for sin. God looked away. Why? Because God is too holy to look upon sin. And Jesus cried out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you at? If you've ever felt like you couldn't reach the presence of God, Jesus understands. Whatever you feel, he felt. Whenever you hurt, wherever you hurt, he hurt. He, he's your great high priest who sympathizes. He's not sitting in heaven going, well, sucks to be you. No, he is our high priest who has experienced all the pain of being in a human body, all the emotion of being rejected by friends, and all the agony of hurting, feeling alone, feeling abandoned. Imagine if you can, the details of our God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. God born in the form of a child who loves you, who cares about you. And God in his divine providence sent magi, wise men, to offer gifts prophetically declaring the nature of Jesus to come, right? Gold, he is our king. Myrrh, he's the suffering servant, the lamb of God. Frankincense, he is our high priest who would be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins and praise prayers to our God in heaven. And this is why scripture is so, so important when it tells us this in Hebrews 4, 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will, we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Here's what I hope you understand. You can come to him today. You can come to him as you are. You can come boldly. You don't have to cower when you come to him. You don't have to be afraid when you come to him. You don't have to pray in King James language when you come to him. Come as you are. Amen. All right, that concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our, our first episode of The Gift as we draw our attention back to the true meaning of the holiday season. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.